Oh, snap! The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, hello, Raw Feeders. I'm Dee Dee Mercer Moffat, CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business. And we're friends like my friend, Dr. Judy Jasek out in Tennessee. Well, do you let friends feed kibble now, Dr. Jasek? Nope. Not friends, not clients, <laughs> not nobody. Not, even not nobody enemies. That, not nobody that'll listen anyway. Yeah, not even my not even my enemies because I advocate for the pets, you know. Man. Kibble, no good. You know what? I'm reading uh, Dr. Brady's book, Feeding Dogs. Okay, because I'm doing the 75 hard. Means I have to read 10 pages a day, two workouts, gallon of water. I don't necessarily, okay, the water's a whole another thing you got to calculate. But anywho, uh, and you got to stay on a diet. But this book is very long. But <laughs> but it's not an easy read, Dr. Jason, because there's so much uh, documentation, right? Mm-hmm. Of all the tests, of all the research, of all the gibbly goo science bs that's out there but i i found that uh some things are really really popping out to me and that is like bloat in dogs is caused by these uh gut dysbiosis mostly so like it's caused a lot by carbs right these these fibrous things so you've got a lot of people who are feeding a lot of cabbage, a lot of broccoli, a lot of this, a lot of that. And it's the gas from the microbiome uh, and and these little bugs in the gut that causes that. So I'm like, you know, remember the barf diet? Now we've got a version of that. It's very small, right? 7% in the healthy variety mix. You've got some veggies. But remember, I I believe the barf diet, people were doing like 20, 30% of these kind of veggies in their dogs. And I'm, you know, according to all the research in here and what we know, that's not good. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Not good. I don't mm-hmm. even like to eat that stuff because it makes me really gassy. Yeah. Oh. I think I almost think any, anymore that like veggies just and feedback from clients, like some clients will say, Oh yeah, my dog just loves those veggies in the food or the grass eaters, the dogs that are like craving greens. Like maybe they need some, something like that. But right. I do think, I think it comes down to feeding the microbiome. It's like fertilizing a garden. Mm-hmm. You know, it, what you put in there is going to feed what's going to grow. If you don't have good nutrients, you're going to get weeds. And if you're putting a bunch of processed carbs, you're going to get bacteria that you don't want growing in there that are not ideal. And and I almost think that like, you know, maybe offering some some form of green plant matter yeah. to your dog and just letting them decide. Do they like it? Do they not like it? Now, Max, he didn't think. <laughs> like, he would not be a good, he's not a good test subject for taste or anything because he literally will. If it's, if it's in front of them, if he can see it, he'll put it in his mouth. But other dogs <laughs> might be more discriminating. And, and, you know, maybe it picks some stuff. Cause you know, there are dogs that, you know, that will go out, like, especially got a tummy ache, they'll go out and they'll eat grass. Right. Or my little, when we lived in Colorado and I had my little Chihuahua CJ, 
when she had a tummy ache, she would go, I had oregano growing in the garden. And that's the first, she would beg, she'd just be dying to go outside and she'd go right up there and she would eat that oregano. So I think there's times where maybe certain plants and maybe um, certain herbs would be beneficial, but I have a, I have a hard time with just always putting that stuff in the food in the same proportions all the time. And like you said, I don't think they need a lot of it. Right. Like you don't need a bowl of broccoli for Pete's sakes or sweet potatoes or, you know, carrots. And really the glycemic load is what we should be looking at for ourselves Mm -hmm. and our pets. And he really goes into why we have such fat dogs, right? And fat people for Pete's sakes. And, you know, so it's very interesting that this information is there. And yet he quotes how many vets still push dry food even light dry food. He's like, it doesn't matter. All of this kind of stuff is not feeding the dog, is not satiating them, is increasing diabetes, increasing their desire for food. And he said, you know, you get a dog that you're trying to make lose weight, okay? And you're feeding a dry food. He goes, man, you got a double whammy. Number one, you're trying to get them to lose weight and you're starving them. And you're causing their blood sugar, you know, their ins- you know, they've got so much sugar in their blood, their insulin's trying to get it out, right? Um, and he said that can be really dangerous around a little kid because a dog, you know, here comes a kid and a dog's eating. He's like, this dog's like, I'm starving to death. Yeah, you're going to take yeah. my food. Don't take, you know, he said, you can really make some aggressive dogs, not to mention sick dogs. And yet, and yet there's a, there's a quote in here by a vet, can you believe it, that says there's really no evidence that, you know, there's not strong evidence that dry kibble food is causing this. And he's like, are you insane? Basically, he didn't, he's nicer than that. But he's like, seriously? You know? Just look at your patients. I mean, that's why I started practicing differently. You know, I was trained conventionally. We all are. And I just started looking like, this can't be the best we can do. I mean, I said that to myself, like there's got to be a better way because all I am is I'm a pawn for the pharmaceutical industry. You know, the reps come in and they sell me the drugs and they tell me how to sell them, you know, based on fear and how much money I can make. And then you got these God awful, you know, high carb diets. And I was already like, I've always been into nutrition for myself. So it just didn't make sense that these would be healthy. And so I started looking into other things because it was common sense, but how can the vets just not see what this is doing to, to their patients? I mean, it's just, it's sad. I know I, I call it the kibble fluff, you know, there, you could tell, you could just look at any dog. You can just pick out the ones that are eating kibble because they're mm-hmm. all heavy, you know, they have these lipomas all over the place and, and all of that stuff. And, you know, one of the things you're mentioning this, um, this food urgency, because they're like, they are malnourished, they're not getting good quality bioavailable food, <clears throat> and their blood sugar is spiking. So, you know, like you get up in the morning and you eat a donut and your blood sugar goes up and you feel great for a while and it comes crashing down. Well, what do you want? You want another donut. So they're, they're just starving all the time. And I, I have people tell me all the time that that goes away when they, uh, switch to raw because the yeah. blood sugar is more stable and they're getting what they should be eating. But 
it's just, I feel like this is an area where I just, I'm continually beating my head against the wall to convince a lot of clients of this. Well, how are they going to get their, how are they going to get their vitamins if all they're eating is meat or protein? That's what they usually say. Well, if the, all they're eating is protein, where are they getting their vitamins? Like, okay, it's not all protein. I mean, you know, but that's the perception um, that people are getting that there's not adequate nutrition in animal products and, and fiber. They need fiber, right? Like, no, they don't need fiber. So I started throwing these questions back at people like, well, you know, what nutrients do you think are in meat? And why do you think your pet needs fiber? And they really don't have an answer. Well, because they do. Because <laughs> they, they do? I don't know. Do. Maybe you want to read Feeding Dogs because it might set you on a new path. You know, he goes all the way back to the wolves and he says, look, like without a doubt, these are meat eaters. Okay. They are not, they are not carbohydrate eaters. They aren't. And he shows that in cats. He shows that in dogs. And that's really a, a huge enemy of your pet on all levels. And yet you have those folks who are supposed to be pet health professionals selling it. All the time. I had a customer uh, come to me and he reached out and he said, look, my dog is vomiting and has diarrhea every day. And my vet just told me that he just cannot eat protein. This dog is just not able to digest protein. And I said, well, that is BS. And I said, are you feeding a raw diet? No, no, no. Doing one of the prescriptions. Okay, get off of that. I'm telling you that you're feeding an inappropriate food that your dog was not created to eat. Dr. Jasek, that would be like saying, all right, human beings, we were created to eat, you know, meat and plants, right? But we're going to feed you, I don't know, dirt and uh, something else that we've we've mixed up together. And we don't know why you're not doing well. We don't know why you're sick. We don't know why you're coming down with cancer, but, but it can't be the dirt and the chemical <laughs> stuff that we've mixed in. It can't be that. Not that you were born to eat, you know, real food. That's not true because we're the experts and we're going to tell you something different. Yeah. You know, I had another conversation this week and people say to me, I have to do the rabies. What suggestions do you have? I, I get that have to out of your brain. Oh no, what to tell you? If it's a have to, are you asking me how you can break the law successfully? I'm not, and it's not a law. So I want to, I want to ask you about this. You're doing a deep dive into rabies, right? And I think that there are some voices that are finally coming out, whether it makes a difference or not in the industry is yet to be seen. That's a huge inter industry to go up against. But we're just trying to start with the pet parents. So you got some pushback. I mean, you you tried to send out information to our folks, you know, via email. And you had some vets that were angry with you. It's like, don't mess with my money pot. Okay. But let's talk about the law for, for a second. Uh, is there a pet police, Dr. Jasek, that is going to come out to your home as of today and... uh Take your dog away from you if you haven't mm -hmm. done a rabies? There is no actual, if you get down to the actual definition of like what a law is, there's not, it's not actually a law. It's really just a recommendation. But 
you know, it, you know, cause there's different, you know, there's ways that laws are created and there has not actually been a law. Um, I know it's, that's the case in Colorado. It's, and even if you go in and read, it's just basically follow the recommendations of the vaccine companies. That's all it says. So it's not like a law would be, you break this law, you go murder somebody, well, you can go to jail. You don't get your pet vaccinated. There's no law. They can come and say, you need to go get a, a rabies shot. But, you know, do you? Could you push back against that? I mean, I don't think there's any real sound, um, even legal stance for for that recommendation. I mean, they talk about, well, it's safety and you're, you know, killing off, you know, your damage with I heard some of the complaints against me. I'm a, I'm a danger to the community because I'm not enforcing, you know, the uh, the rabies mandates. But in terms of it being illegal, that's I mean, that's not the case. It's really just a just a recommendation. Now, will animal control come knock on your door and say, look, you know, you need to get a rabies shot? Yeah, but that's all they do. They don't come and take your pet away. I mean, I had a client, I might've said this before, that they actually were told that by their veterinarian, that if they did not update the rabies, that the vaccine police was going to come to their house and take their pet away. That's not going to happen. Even if, even if your dog bites somebody, that isn't going to, that isn't going to happen. So it's really just a bunch of lies and it's based on nothing. And that's what I'm going to try to prove in my presentation, that there is no basis for any of this. There's not actually been a reported case of canine rabies in the United States since 2007. And yet in the last three or four years, all these ridiculous mandates in the vet clinics have come up. So where did that narrative come from? In your research, is there really a thing called rabies? Is, is there really a foaming at the mouth? I'm going to come bite you. I'm going to, through my bite, infect another animal. Is there really something like that? Well, Whatever it is. Yeah. So they identified what they called mad dogs. But there's lots of reasons why that can happen. So dogs that were mistreated. You know, we know dogs will become aggressive if mm -hmm. they're mistreated, if they are malnourished or they're getting into something toxic. I mean, if you read on the CDC website, they have like seven or eight symptoms of rabies. And I'm like, yeah, I've seen all of those, but I've never diagnosed a case of rabies. I mean, it's just stuff like <laughs> one of them was like, it's just some of the stuff just makes me laugh. One of them was finding a bat on the ground. That's a sign of rabies because the bats, I guess, aren't supposed to be on the, on the ground, but like, you know, paralysis, I don't think, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Hyper, hyper salivation, you know, but any kind of mouth disease, like um, say there's an injury, say there's a sore. I used to see this a lot in cats. Cats will sometimes get these ulcers in their, in their mouths and they just sit there just the drool, just hang it. When dogs are nauseous, they would drool. When dogs are abused, when they're malnourished, you know, we were talking about, you said dogs becoming aggressive because they're hungry. What if a dog is starving, literally starving, has some toxic exposure, 
and it's been beaten by people. Do you think it's going to be nice? No, it's, it's dying. It's, it's in a fight for its life. So that exists and it's been proven. I actually have statistics on this where multiple people are, so you have a dog like this, say in a neighborhood somewhere that bites multiple people. Well, guess who ended up dying with quote unquote rabies symptoms? It was the people that were treated for rabies. Mm. The other people, the people did not die. The people, there's a big, so if this dog had this life-threatening illness, wouldn't you think that at least the majority of the people would be getting it? But no, it was actually the people that were treated with Pasteur's protocol that died with neurologic symptoms. So he was actually killing people with his treatment and calling it rabies. He's saying, well, I guess the treatment didn't work in this case. They died. They died from rabies. So no, no proven cause and effect uh, whatsoever. And early on, they didn't even have a test for it. It was all made up. It was, it was all made up. And what, well, what, what he did initially to test it, he'd take some saliva from these dogs and inject it into the brain of a rabbit. And if the rabbit got paralyzed, then it was rabies. Well, duh, you could inject saline into the brain and just the irritation would cause, you know, would cause, that was his test. That's how he determined that it was rabies. So essentially based on nothing, and they never took these dogs and said, well, what if we fed them appropriately and treated them better and, and stop help, drilling holes in heads and help them heal. Yeah. And then maybe they wouldn't be mad. I know they just kill them, you know? So it's based on nothing. And then they, they've now, you know, they've gone on, they have these different like fluorescent antibody tests and tests that are supposedly uh, <clears throat> more, you know, effective. That's like the gold standard now is this fluorescent antibody tests where supposedly they take some brain tissue from an animal that is suspected of having rabies. And then they have these antibodies that are, that fluoresce under the microscope. And then they attach to the virus supposedly. And then you see them glowing there. And if they attach, they, they wash the, the, the tissue sample. And if they're not attached, then they wash away. But like, okay, why? I mean, where do those antibodies come from? Because they'll tell you when it comes to titer testing, antibodies are invalid, that it means nothing, that antibody level in the blood. Yet they're creating these antibodies to, to test definitively. And they have all these pictures of the virus, all these beautiful CDC website. I mean, all these nice pictures of the virus. Why, not, why can't they just go look for it? Like if it's everywhere, you know, throughout the body, supposedly from this dog bite, why can't they just go look for it? So when you really dig into it, none of it has any, any backing. And they have this whole like um, um, explanation of what happens in the cells, what happens in the body when the virus like gets into the body and how it travels. How do they know that? That in there with their little mini bitty microscope drone following it around? Well, you're like, I didn't know that it's all, it's just all, it's so, it's all made up. It's just all made up But these narratives. And that's the, that's a mystery to me. Like 
how do these narratives get started? How do these veterinary clinic mandates, like how do they get started? And then everybody buys into it, but how did it get started? I mean, I know COVID was part of that because it wasn't like this pre-COVID. It wasn't this bad. Some clinics might mandate rabies, but not that many clinics. So like, where do these narratives based on absolutely nothing like get started? That's that's still a mystery to me. And like supposedly pretty intelligent people. Well, I mean, come on. When you open your eyes, you can see what it's all about. It's all about money. It's all about, you know, moving folks into a uh, totalitarian type of situation where you have to do this, you can't do that. We're going to dictate how you eat, how your dogs eat, um, what your you know level of health is. We're going to dictate that. You do not need to think about it. They don't want you to think about it. And I will tell you that those of you that decide not to think about it, you're going to pay the price. Somewhere you're going to pay the price. I mean, I get it that there are things that we can't know everything about, but come on, you can tell if your dog is healthy or not. Oh, or maybe you can't. I mean, I certainly do see either incredibly skinny dogs out there because they, they, they cannot, uh, they're not taking in the nutrients, right? They're not digesting, and they're on the wrong food or fat dogs, you know, and I'm sorry. Fat shaming here is appropriate because it's not healthy. And if you want a dog that is going to live with you longer, you got to get the weight off of them, guys, right? And I can't imagine how unhealthy these dogs feel. I know how I oh, yeah. feel, Dr. Jasek, being, you know, too heavy and bloated and having a blood sugar spike all the time and feeling hungry and tired and aching in the joints. I mean, these are the symptoms and and the facts of how your dog feels. Yeah, but what, what a great money maker! What a great money maker from for the vets. Let's feed them these crappy diets. And it's, I don't think it's like the vets set this up intentionally, but it is set up intentionally by the companies because it's all one big corporate conglomerate that owns the food companies and owns the drug companies and now owns the vet clinics that are. Telling is probably now that he was probably where this is coming from is the corporate overlords are telling the vets, this is what, you know, you need to do in your clinic. This is how you need to need to operate. But what a great business model for them. Well, let's feed this crappy diet that makes the dog sick. And then we can treat diabetes and cancer and, you know, all these other diseases, the arthritis. I mean, how much money do you think is made selling Rimadyl and drugs like that to these poor sore, overweight dogs. I mean, I can't tell you how many people say, you like, God, I switched my 10-year-old dog to raw. And I thought they were just getting old and running around like a puppy again because their mm. body isn't inflamed and and they feel so much better. And yeah, it's, it's really tragic. And I think the tiny percentage of people that we reach um, compared to how many pets out there are, are just suffering with this, you know, malnutrition, it's, it's really heartbreaking, really heartbreaking. Well, I mean, what a great industry to go in and convince. I mean, look how many people, right? They've got dogs and who's going to take care of them? Vets. That is a, mm -hmm. that is a moneymaker deluxe, right? Moneymaker deluxe. And, you know, I know we harp on this all the time, but doggone it, that's where we see it all the time. You know, these folks 
must not totally be buying what their vet says because they come to us and they're like, my, my vet, you know, and you hear it all the time. My vet said, you know, just like this poor guy, my dog, my vet said, my dog just can't eat protein. I said, well, that's insanity. And you need to find a dog won't live if it doesn't, that doesn't even make sense. How, Mm -hmm. how could it not need, not eat protein. I mean, even the plants, the corn, the wheat, and the stuff that's put in the commercial diets, they have protein in them. It's plant-based protein. It's not healthy protein for dogs, but, but there is uh, protein. Yeah. People need to stop giving their power away. They need to think for themselves and advocate for their pets. And you know what? That person with the white coat at the vet office, they have no power over you. You know, people are intimidated. It's it's the white coat effect. People get intimidated. Did you ever hear about the Milgram experiment? Mm-hmm. Where they yeah. were like zapping people because the doctor told them to keep turning. Is that the one where they keep yeah, zapping yeah. them? It's a, it was yeah. all made up. They had people come in and then they had these actors and they had a guy in a white coat or a gal in a white coat playing to be the doctor. And they um, they had an actor in this little booth and the person, the unknowing person would ask the actor a question and if they got the answer wrong, they were supposed to give them an electric shock. And then every time they got an answer wrong, the shock went up and went up. Now the person was just acting. They weren't actually getting shocked. But these people would get up. They were told there was a certain level where this could actually become life-threatening for the person in the booth. And they kept doing it because the white coat told them to do it. Like, come on, people. And it's it's hard to fathom. It was like... Two thirds or three fourths of the people just kept shocking them harder. Why? Because the white coat told them to do it. Like, well, look what happened in COVID. The nastiness of people came out. Right? It, It was it was unbelievable. And some of these stores, I've said this before, that I visited during COVID that were so incredibly nasty, mean, would just as soon I die if I didn't have on a mask. I will never go back in their place again. Right. I mean, I was so shocked. I I literally had a girl at a come and go get in my face. She was going to punch me. Wow. She called me a bunch of terrible names and a customer standing beside in there beside me teamed up with this, uh, the person who worked at this come and go. And, uh, we even, uh, one of my, uh, friends who is a, a publicist and does a lot of writing, she sent a letter to them and, and basically their stance was, sorry, that's our policy. No big deal. Wow. But, but take that a step further. What, at what point will they say, yeah, you just have the right to shoot these people. Yeah. Yeah. They're scourge on society. The, the, the logic is, yeah, we're killing them. Like we are putting everybody else in danger, just like, you know, we're putting veterinarians in danger by saying you don't need to do um, a rabies shot. You know, I was in it, um, the chiropractor that I see here and was chatting a couple of weeks ago. And I said, um, somehow we got on the topic of COVID. And I said, so what was it like here during COVID? And she's like, you wouldn't have even known it was happening. I said, really? I said, nothing shut down. She's like, nope. Is all the restaurants stayed open? I said, yep. She said, People kind of took notice for a little bit and then kind of looked around. I think this is like rural communities. People have some common sense. They're like, 
okay, we don't see people dropping dead and I'm supposed to close my business and lose my source of income because somebody tells me I, I have to, and I don't see this being a big deal. And she said, nope. I said, she said, I said, people didn't wear masks. She said, nope. She said the only time she said she had an issue at Costco, which is in Nashville. So you get in the bigger cities mm-hmm. and then the narrative gets stronger, but the small town, she was like, you went of you and now I'm like, Hmm. And the people didn't die off either. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was very, very interesting. And, you know, you relay that back to rabies and that is the way that they treat people about rabies. You're endangering, you're going to kill your dog's grandma. You know, I mean, it's like, it's the same thing. And I think that is what happened because they're playing on the COVID narrative, the asymptomatic spreaders the you know, your danger to, to society. Um, joking with my team at one of our meetings, I said, pretty soon at dog parks, they're going to have little circles eight feet apart. And I go, okay, your dog can go to the dog park, but they got to sit on that circle for 30 minutes and then they can rotate to the next circle, but they can't play because they might. And there will be people out there doing it. (laughs) Just like, and yeah, it just, it defies any logic. I just can't believe that people that people fall for this. And really these narratives just are so strong. They, they catch on. I'm sure they were taught. They talk about this now at probably at the big veterinary meetings. They probably talk about, you know, the importance of enforcing the, the rabies shots and, and all that. Well, you know, that article I sent you that was written by a veterinarian oh, yes. saying, saying how, um, the vast, the vaccine hesitancy amongst dog dog owners. Well, where have we heard that verbiage before? You know, that was really the vaccine hesitant. You know, vaccine he- like it's a disease or something. There's like well, some what I thought was in very uh, informative in that letter you sent me. She she goes on to say it's coming from a certain political group. Yes. It's coming from uh, people who don't believe in true science. It's like, are you serious? We dig into the science and we say there's not any. And, and, a, and a certain education level too. I yep. think she, It was very demeaning, very yep. demeaning. Yeah. But you know, yes. I went and looked up her website. You know what she's like, like her claim to fame is having babies while she's a vet. She's like written a book about it. She's got a website about it. Here's how you have kids and and be a vet. It's like, well, aren't there lots of people who can have lots of kids and still hold down a job? I mean, what? And then what gives? So I I wanted to to write this vet and say, um, where did you, where, who gave you this authority or are you getting paid or why did you come out with this? Is it affecting your income or are you not, you know, I just, I wanted to say, what the, hey, what, why, what, you, yeah. what gives you, I mean, and it doesn't matter, Dr. Jasek, if who the vet is, right? Because once a pet parent sees, oh, a vet wrote this, it's like the God, yeah. tr- God's truth. And it's like, seriously? Yeah. And the rabies, you know seems like this rabies it's it's it is it's more about like control or something because what is it like when they charge maybe 30 bucks for a shot i mean i had a client tell me he said i pay him for the rabies shot 
I just don't want them to give it to my pet. If it's about they don't want to miss out on the on the income, like I'll pay them for it. But I think right. where they really make the money is all the in a chronic illness that's created by this. And it's like it's a control thing. It's just it's just like people. Like I have people in my own family challenge me and why I wasn't taking the the COVID shot and why you're a doctor. Why aren't you following the science? I'm like, you mean the science you hear from CNN? That's science? Like that isn't science. I do follow the science, but I don't follow what you consider science. So, but people would just get mean, snarky, um, where never, never was the case before. It was like, that whole thing made it okay. And I think that attitude then, you know, got into the the medical professions and now the medical professionals think, yeah, they can just kind of keep that, like they have the right to like be that, uh, be that controlling, but it's going to, it's going to take pet parents stepping up and enough of them, one or two, they're not going to care. Like they're just crazy people. They can go someplace else. But if enough of them make a stand. I think it will make a difference. When they're bullying you, you always have to ask a question and um, get, you know, get the information. I can't wait until you come out with the rabies stuff. And there are other people that are really coming out strong against it too. Dr. Uh, Cowan says there is no advantage to human or pets from vaccines. And yet I will hear vets say, I'm, I, you know, that vaccines have done a world of good in the world. They've saved so many lives. And I'm like, have, have they really? Have they really? Based on the science that I've seen and the results I've seen, I, that's not the case. Well, you know, you think about things like parvo, you know, very common, lots of fear around parvo. You know, I have clients that, you know, they're told like they can't put their puppy on the ground outside. Mm-hmm. until they're four months old because of parvo in all this ridiculousness. But right. parvo came to be like, I say like maybe late 70s, early 80s, something like that. So where did it come from? Just this virus magically appeared? Or yes. Did they yes, have the vet? Did they or did they develop <laughs> the vaccine for it? And now they need to, and this is the way I think the industry works now they they need something they got they decide they want to start pushing more vaccines on pets just like it was right around that time they really amped up the vaccine schedules on children it was in the 80s where you know like i got probably just a a couple thankfully Mm -hmm. you know when i was young um but in the 80s right in the autism rates started going up exponentially in the eighties. Cause they really increased the vaccine schedules. Well, I'm sure these same companies also wanted to capitalize on the veterinary industry. So oh, we need to make up some diseases that we can create vaccines for so that we can make people afraid of them. And then everybody with a puppy or kitten is going to be running into the vet to get these vaccines. And that's what I think happened. They, they, they have the product already, and then they then they sell you the the disease. They make up the disease to go along with it, so they can they can sell the product, and it's very effective. And who knows what parvo? I mean, I still don't know. Like what? I mean, some some kind of toxicity. You know, dogs are getting into something causing bloody diarrhea. 
I mean, they definitely get sick. I mean, there's no question that that they get sick, but you know, some sort of toxicity probably that that they were probably some new pesticide or insecticide or something like that that they get into, which are still around. So maybe these dogs with supposed parvo, you know, they're just getting into something uh, something toxic. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've asked that question to Dr. Cowan, right? I've asked him. He said exactly what you just said. He's like, we have never isolated a virus, right? Period. He's done it. He's tried, um, and he's willing for anybody to come and debate him. He said, so it cannot be a virus, okay? Can't be something that's passed from one puppy to the other. It can, however be that a puppy is subjected to something in that environment, right? Be it the dirt, be it the food, be it the mama's milk, who knows, right? right. Um, but he's like, we definitely know it is not a virus. And I was talking to somebody the other day who's having trouble, uh, who's not feeling well, right? A as a human. And They've been told that they have Epstein-Barr virus, okay? Mm. And if you really look at what happens in the world, as, as Brian would say, you have to name it. You got to name it mm -hmm. so that we know how to treat it, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, but what if, what if it, it isn't a virus? How does that change the landscape of what you would do for yourself or your body? Right. Right. It totally changes the landscape. It totally changes your decisions. And, yeah, and, and I, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, instead of fighting something, you're increasing the health of the body. And then, regardless of what it is, if you're improving your nutrition and helping your body detoxify, you're going to be treating it. You're treating the body. That's how I approach pets, is I treat the pet, not the little boogeyman, whatever that's attacking it. If you mm -hmm. say detox, it changes the landscape of how you treat yourself, right? And so Rick's got this, you know, constant runny nose at the moment, and he's got this cough. And I'm right, you know, six inches from his face all the time. You know, I'm still kissing him. I'm still hugging him. That's been going on for two weeks, right? I'm not getting anything. The question is why? Why am I not getting anything? If it's a virus that's going to just attack, why am I not getting anything? Right? And um, so he just treats it as as a detox. And I, I say, listen, try not to do things that are going to stop the body from letting it out. Right. Right? So he uses the sauna, you know, just blow the nose, just, but. That makes a whole lot of sense to me. If it has to come out, you got to let it come out, right? You got to let it come out. And then we don't have a buildup over years that turns into lung cancer or turns into some type of a tumor in the body because we're just getting it out. Right, right. If you just suppress the symptoms, you suppress the fever, you take decongestants to, you know, stop the, stop the, you know, the runny nose. You're, you're stopping that natural process and that, but, but if you think about, well, you're trying to detox and it totally makes sense that this happens 
in the wintertime, we're not getting as much sunlight. The days are shorter. We're outside with more clothes on. You know, in the summertime, the days are long. You know, you might be out there in shorts. You're getting more natural light. You're probably exercising outdoors more, um, you know, and then you're exercising, you're probably drinking more water. Just the fact that you're exercising maybe more um, helps move, move things, you know, keep the, keep the circulation going. Then the winter time we're indoors, get the holidays. You probably eat and drink stuff that maybe you don't do as much of the rest of the year. You get, you know, family stressors cause you got to deal with, you know, that whole thing. So it totally makes sense. Then when does everybody get sick? January, February, and they call it the flu season. It's the detox season. You know, everybody's just getting all that crap out. Right. And I'm also looking at what does do, and everybody's different, right? Everybody's different. Every dog's different. But I'm right here in the house with them, so I can look at it and say, "All right, um, what are you putting in your body that I'm not?" Okay, like dairy. You know, he does cream in his coffee. I don't. So I'm constantly looking at what is my level of detox versus his, right? Mm -hmm. And what are you doing differently than I am? Now, granted, he's a man, he's different weight, um, you know, different things come into play. But I think that there's, there's, you know, some things to be learned by being very conscious and seeing what is happening. What is happening with a person who doesn't necessarily need to detox as much as someone else, mm -hmm. right? And then what's happening there. And I think this is, something that you can see in your pets, right? Because people will say to me all the time, well, my dog's been eating all of these synthetic, you know, vitamins forever and it's never affected them before, but now, you know, they're eating the raw food. So I think it's the raw food. And I'm like, those are chemicals. They're chemically made, right? Raw food is food. So how can food be the cause? Now I get it. If you don't have enough bone or you're feeding too much organ, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, I think that part of what happens is, you know, they're on these synthetics, they're not on a healthy diet. So the body's natural detoxification mechanisms aren't working properly. So the toxins just build up, build up, build up in the body. The body isn't able to get stuff out because those mechanisms aren't working. And then you give them good nutrition and the body gets healthier. And then finally, those processes can work and say, all right, now we finally have the right tools and the right nutrients so we can start to kick all this garbage out. Thus, diarrhea when you, you change or maybe, you know, the pet isn't isn't feeling quite as as well for, a, you know, should be a short period of time when they first transition to raw. But I think sometimes it's it's helping that detoxification process. And that's a good thing because we need to be detoxing. Right. And I will have pet parents that will say, my dog just can't eat raw, doesn't do well on raw. So he does well on chemicals yeah. and dry food and a food that they were not born to eat. Is, is that what, what the, what yeah. the thought is? And, and drugs to suppress the symptoms that they might be. Right. Sure. So that's really what we're trying to help pet parents do is think differently, get outside of that box to take back your power, to try to make sense of clean eating versus non-clean eating. And I think if you relay that to your own diet, right? 
I don't think that there's a human alive, well, maybe, uh, that would say processed foods make me feel great and are healthy for me. They may eat them. Mm -hmm. Do they really think processed foods are the best diet for themselves and they feel the best on that? Well, if they've never tried anything else, you know, that's like, I have family members like that. Like they don't want to hear about it. They're like, I just want to eat my McDonald's. I don't want to hear about why it's bad for me or how I've been healthier without it. Cause I just want to keep eating it and be, you know, ignorance is bliss kind of thing, but they don't realize how good they would feel if they, you know, did, did something else. My brother has this, like, I think it's just like really bad reflux, some issues with his mm-hmm. esophagus. And he was given the choice. He actually had surgery for it. And they said, well, you could stop drinking alcohol and stop eating chocolate, or we can do surgery. He chose the surgery. Mm-hmm. This is, I'm not going to change. Like, okay, hope that works out well for you. Now it worked for a while. And of course, he still has the issues because, you know, if you keep, you know, and, you know, everything in moderation, right? You know, I mean, but if you can recognize that, hey, maybe doing something as much as I'm doing it isn't good for my body, then maybe I need to cut back and change. I mean, health, you know, it really is a choice. And it's really, it's so simple. Appropriate nutrition and stop poisoning the body. That's it. That's it. It's so simple. And I think sometimes, why, why do I feel like I'm just beating my head against the wall, treating pets <laughs> like it's that simple i think because we start with them i start with them when they're already so poisoned that now they already have cancer and 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 all this stuff but you know health health really is that simple well i think that the thinking is very much like because i i get that from folks um the thinking is very much like what your brother chose right so um, somebody was talking to me and they had these problems with their dogs. And I said, you know, again, are you putting the toxins in the dogs? Well, I, I have to. And I said, why do you have to? Because I travel and I'd like to go on vacation. I said, well, can you go on vacation? Can you take your dog? Nope. I like to fly. And I said, well, can you have somebody come into your home and, and watch your dog while you're gone? Nope. I don't like people in my home. What's your next suggestion? It's like, I'm, but it's still, I'm sort but, of it's out still of but it's still a choice. Well, yeah, it's still not a have to, because you could change where you go on vacation. And I do have clients that have done this. They're like, I don't go anywhere that I can't take my dog now because they they've had sick pets And they realize what's important to keep pets healthy. So they're like, if if I can't take my dog, I don't go. I change, I change what I do. So it's, it is a choice. And I get, you might not want people in your home. Okay. I, you know, understand that, but that's another choice. You know, you either do that or you decide to, to take your pet, but have to doesn't make anything better. You're still poisoning your pet just because Mm -hmm. you had to like, all right. So you had to, and you made your pet just as sick, regardless of the reason you did it. 
your pet is suffering just as much. So how is that even like people say that, like it's some sort of justification that's going to make it okay. Well, I had to, I had to give those shots. No, you didn't have to, you chose to, and now your pet is going to suffer the consequences. Well, I think you should sit down and have a conversation with your pet and you should say, now, listen, listen, Tabby, I love you, but I really need a vacation and I'm going to have to poison you. And um, I hope you're okay with that. And not only am I going to have to poison you, I know, I know that this dry food is not great for you. I'll go on vacation because you're going to free feed tabby cat. But, you know, I really need this vacation. So are you okay with me poisoning you and your food and, you know, giving you your shots too? I mean, it's, it's, it's insanity. It's insanity. Just sit there and look at your dog and say, are you okay with me poisoning you? Are you okay with me knowing that these things can cause cancer? But, you know, let's play the odds, right? Love Vegas. Let's just play the odds. Let's just throw the dice. Let's crap shoot it, right? They should have thought about this. You know, they like, like they want to have it all. They want the pet that they can, you know, that, you know, is hanging out with them on the evenings and the weekends, but then they want to be able to go on their trips and you can't have it all. You want your pet, you know, it's like having a child that like my feeling is you need to be willing to put everything you possibly can into keeping that animal healthy. They're, they're an obligation. Once you take that on, you're taking on and an obligation. Like people say, well, I got three big dogs. I can't afford raw. Well, whose choice was it to get three big dogs? Like, I know, I, I don't know what to, I don't know what to tell you. I'll tell you, they're going to not be healthy. If you, you know, keep feeding them what you're, what you're feeding them. We, we stand with you pet parents that push back on the vets. We're going to stand with you. Um, and it may make you shake it may make your, um, you know, you may feel all, you know, jacked up when you actually push back, right? That adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get it, right? Because you're in an uncomfortable situation. The more you practice that, the better you're going to be mm-hmm. at it. It's a it's a muscle. Is there a 75 hard for pushback? Well, that's what I, we're going to create. Strengthen that, strengthen that, strengthen that, um, that pushback. We're going to create everything gets easier. We're going to create a 75 hard for dogs, right? For pet parents, actually. Right. Did you question your vet? You got to question your vet. First of all, can you stay out of the vet for 75 days? Right. All right. Well, well, in in my presentation is one of the reasons I'm doing it is to give people ammunition. So they have things to say because people don't know that vets are not like a vet says, well, I'm legally required to you know, mandate rabies in my clinic. Well, the average pet parent may not know that that's not true, but if I can debunk that, then they'll actually have some facts that they can push back with. Well, wouldn't it be really simple to just say, can you produce that law so I can study it? Where, where is that that it says, can you, can I get a copy of that before I walk out? They could do that too. Yeah. You're like, they're like, um, Help, I don't know where that is. I just stated it, but I don't really have it. <laughs> How does this ingredient, the formaldehyde and the mercury and the thermosil, right? And how does that really um, 
contribute to health in my dog. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it says right here that it's been shown to cause tumors in cats. So don't you think that's, you know, might also be bad, you know, bad for my dog. And why do we continue to give this? Cause the vaccine manufacturer right there says it's a, it's a known carcinogen. Right. They get, they get uncomfortable so fast. They'd be like, Oh, got an emergency. Gotta go. All right, everybody. Listen, okay. you can work with Dr. Judy Jasek at ahavet.com, ahavet.com. I think it's always a great uh, first step to get a second opinion. And that's what you can do with Dr. Jasek. If you have a dog that has cancer or you want to prevent cancer and you're not sure that the toxins that you're putting in the body right now are the best thing for your dog, I would sign up with a consult with Dr. Jasek. Remember, we have the cancer webinar on Dr. Jasek's site, uh, on my site. It's right there, part one, two, and three. I think it's invaluable that you watch that so you know that you're on the right track, okay? Also, get on Dr. Jasek's Substack. That link is what, Dr. Jasek? <laughs> JudyJasekDVM.Substack.com. And that is J-A-S-E-K, J-A-S-E-K. You can get right on there. Get over to rawdogfoodandcompany.com. I'm sorry, but there is no good kibble. Uh, there is none. Zero zip nada. Uh, I don't care how much you pay for it. You might as well just uh, buy the crappy stuff, okay? So get over to rawdogfoodandcompany.com where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. We'll see you soon, Dr. Jasek. Thanks for all, all right. you do. All right, you as well. Oh, snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Just snap.